In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good morning, Cleveland. It's not a great morning, to be honest. The Browns lose. But I'm not as negative as everyone else is. We're 2-2. Two and two. We're still atop of the AFC North. I'm here with Ian Wright. Ian, you're a little bit more depressed than me. I don't know if depressed is the right word. Uh, it was definitely a, a nice kick in the mommy-daddy button, so to say, whenever that uh, the final whistle blew when Atlanta was in victory formation. You are correct. Our division is giving us all the hope in the world. And as famously said in the Shawshank Redemption, hope is a dangerous thing. It can drive a man insane. Well, I think Brown's fan base, whether it's the callers from the radio shows, from what I hear, Twitter, social media, people just randomly yelling on the streets of Cleveland. I have my sources. It sounds like we may be tipping near that uh, insane lever, which is odd because Jacoby Brissett's our quarterback and we are two and two to your point. Let's, let's get into the format of the normal show, but look, we didn't have no, we had no Miles Garrett yesterday. No Jadavian clown either. Yeah. No clown. A D line sucks. We said that at the start of the season. And I think I'll openly admit that I've said I'm worried about our depth of our defensive end room and, I'm worried about our uh, depth at tight end room, but yeah, it's now showing the cracks are now showing. But anyway, well, I think that's the summary, right? These are easily identifiable issues. We saw the holes in this roster. Jack, me, you, we said edge one, good edge two and below crap. They went out and got clowny. Jack was of the opinion he sh- they should assign two guys for the price of Clowney's salary. You can make that argument, but Clowney's been very good this year. But now you got edge one, edge two, and then there's a cliff. Well, when edge one and edge two are out, you're at the cliff. And our defensive tackle position, one where Jack has you know, pointed out in the past, we are encouraging them to run the ball. Well, mission accepted. So losing Anthony Walker losing Miles Garrett for the game, losing Jadavian Clowney for the game. Taven Bryan, our only serviceable D tackle. He's not in there. It was a recipe for this kind of game. Now, I thought this game could go one of two ways. I thought it was either going to be a shootout or I thought it was going to be a sludge fest. Turned out at times it was a little bit of a shootout. And I think Kevin Stavansky agreed. We could talk about that fourth down play on the uh, opening drive. But at the end of the day, the Browns thought there was going to be some points scored come the fourth quarter points were hard to come by. So now we were discussing this and uh, we didn't really have much of a pre-show because we're busy. Men, we're busy men here. We, I was talking a little bit about the front office and the easily identifiable issues. I, I want to try to make a cooking analogy and you're going to tell me whether I'm right or wrong. So if you go down to the local fresh market and get, top seafood or top filet or prime rib, whatever meat 
protein you choose and you get nice fresh veggies as a chef, you can make a very nice meal with great ingredients. But if I give you shit ingredients, Paul, can a chef make tasty food? Cause I was saying, what are the coaches supposed to do? If the players are shit, you know, like the two worst D tackles in the league, how can you stop the run with shit players? Well, Paul, can you make good food with bad ingredients? Of course you can. Now, if you look at someone like Gordon Ramsay, for example, he is all about using cheap cuts in expensive restaurants. So there is the art of using poor players and getting them doing a job. So um, hopefully that answered your question. Would it be kind of like, would you say that Gordon Ramsay is pseudo Bill Belichick? Because last time I checked, Bill Belichick took a Bailey Zappi-led team into overtime at Lambeau with a pick six from Jack Jones, who I don't think many Browns fans were going to be able to pick him out of the lineup. So is are you is there an analogy between Gordon Ramsay, say, and Bill Belichick? There is. Look, um, bad chefs use good ingredients to look good. So, um, yeah, you know, did did was Tom Brady... Um, making Bill Belichick looking good, you know? But anyway. So if that's the case, overall, there's a couple of controversy. We'll talk a little bit about the coaching staff. So there's a little bit of a... Now, if you want, we'll get into a little bit after your day with 888 Sports. Did you get to watch the Browns game, Paul? I did, but not very well. So it's probably the, probably the worst... It's probably the worst Browns game I've watched um, in the last five years because I was in a pub I was watching Red Zone. Red Zone was quicker than the game. So I knew everything that was going to happen, the big plays on Red Zone. So I kind of switched off watching the other stuff on my phone as as the plays were coming in. Okay. So we'll talk a little bit about some coaching decisions because I think right now Browns fans love the idea of if the players don't execute, in some cases, in all cases, in them, it's the coaching. So we had a couple of controversial things. I'm going to get your opinion on it. So the Browns get the ball first. They march 71 yards down the field. It is fourth and it was third and goal from the two because it was second and nine. So yes, third and goal from the two. They run Chubb from the two yard line. He gets tackled in the backfield. It's now fourth and four. There's still 10 minutes left in the first quarter. So this is the opening drive. It's zero, zero. So it's fourth and goal from the four yard line. Paul, do you blame Stefanski for going for it? What would you have done? I think watching the Vikings at, in London, watching Greg Joseph kick every time. Yes, he did miss an extra point. Just sums up really how powerful uh, a kicker is and how powerful three points are. So, I know Jack's very fourth down, let's go. And the analytics make it work out. But I personally would take safe points. So you're playing the safe route. And this is this is literally the debate. Yeah, you personally, you're you're more of the, you know, the conservative type where you're saying, I'm gonna take the points. Jack's of the different opinion of saying, if I convert half as many of those into touchdowns, then I blow you away in the expected points because I'm getting seven and you're only getting three, meaning you have to succeed two times plus two and a, two and a third times more than I do 
getting sevens over threes. I was of the ilk that in the first quarter of a game that likely the coaching staff thought was going to be a little higher scoring. I think it was 48 in the Vegas opening drive. You want to go out and you want to punch that in. And I really think that if the Browns had succeeded, and this is, you know, if my aunt had groin, she'd be my uncle type of thing. It would have definitely given a different complexion to the game. So I think that by Stefanski not kicking it, he was telling the Falcons, I'm going to bring it at you all day on offense because he knew the defense was going to be light. We, I think he knew that. I think he knew we're, we're light on D sevens. Aren't going to be our, what we're going to need. Threes aren't going to be enough. So I don't have a problem with him going for it in the first quarter. Now, here we are a couple of quarters later, we're going into the third quarter and it's still, you know, 10, 10, 13, 10, 17, 10. I mean, it was 10, 10 at half 13, 10 at the end of the first third quarter. Now we're realizing, well, this isn't the shootout we thought it was. Then I think you can maybe make a different calculated decision in terms of when to go for it and when not to. So I think the saving grace for that was the fact that it was the first drive of the game. It was still zero, zero. And realistically you would then said, all right, Falcons offense go 96 yards on me. Well, they went 84 and ended up kicking a field goal. The bigger controversy, the first quarter was Njoku's fumble. And I get it. Like the guy made a good tackle, but it, it, it you should have had the ball. You would obviously move down eight plays in the first drive for him to fumble. Now you're putting Atlanta up 10, nothing because now you're giving them a short field. They went three plays, 31 yards and scored a touchdown. So you can't kill Stefanski for going for it. If you're not going to kill Njoku for putting the ball on the ground, because Njoku's fumble led to seven Stefanski's decision led to a very long three points. So the Browns defense ended up bending, not breaking, but listen, I get it. At the end of the game, you look and say, we lost by three. There's three points. I get it. That's the easy thing to do. It's very cliche to say, but in that time in the first quarter, it doesn't have that much meaning. So, yeah. So once again, watching Greg Joseph in London, just, just keep kicking, just keep kicking, getting them three every time. It makes a big difference. I, I can see both sides and I'm glad we both have different opinions on that. I think I know which end Jack is and we'll do a little bit PFF breakdown. Yeah, some of the players Jack stuff later. Or my Jack did an article on, Expected points average? No, like, yeah, how the season would have been if we had the mentality from kicked it every time on a fourth down within, yeah. I know, obviously, it depends where you are. You can't be 60 yards away or whatever every time and kick it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and listen, but- this is this is a conversation that's going on in ESPN Cleveland. You know, I made a comment earlier. Uh, one of the hosts, Tony Rizzo, had mentioned, you know, that the Browns need to know thyself and they need to know that you're not an offense like the Chiefs, blah, 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 blah. Well, yeah, they're they're not Patrick Mahomes, but the Browns didn't struggle really on offense yesterday. I mean, the Browns is an efficient offense and Stefanski for the three years he's been doing this does know thyself. He goes for it in those situations. It's not the first time he went for it later in the game with uh, Brissett on his own 30 yard line. He plowed forward, got his yard. So I think the Browns do know thyself and that's why they go for it in those situations. Cause they know I have confidence that I'll get somebody open at the end of the day. It was one of those things where they didn't get it. But the bigger question I had in the play was why the hell did Brissett throw the ball out of bounds? 
Like, you know, he threw the ball through the back of the end zone. That didn't make any damn sense to me. And Jack mentioned it at the time. I'm like, at least throw the ball in the end zone. The worst thing that happens is it gets intercepted and it goes from the four to the 20, but give somebody the opportunity to make a play. What the hell are we doing? Throw it to the camera guy. Come on. That, that made no sense, but so that's what confuses me. And it comes back to the Nick Chubb thing against the jets mm-hmm. or the thing is the managers or coach just saying to him, whatever fucking happens, just throw it in there. So do you think that Mourinho has to tell his players when you're running down the right side of the pitch, make sure you cross the ball into the box. Do you think he has to tell no, them at that level? That's, that's, there's a difference. But here's the thing. When you're playing, when you're playing football, American, when you're playing football, UK, when you're playing tennis, when you're playing basketball, there's certain instinctive things that players should know. For example, if I'm a, if I'm a wide receiver and it's third and five and my route is a comeback route, I don't come back at four yards. I go to seven and come back, right? So there's just certain things that as a manager or a coach, I shouldn't have to tell you because you're a smart individual. If it's fourth down and an incomplete pass gives them the ball at that spot, you really think Stefanski has to go, oh, guys, time out one second. All right, Jacoby, it's fourth down, which means if we don't get this touchdown, they'll get the ball from that spot. Meaning, try to run it. it. There's instinctive things you should have to tell. The Chubb thing, mm, I would disagree there because my guess is a manager would have to come in and say, hey, guys, listen, based on the clock and their timeouts, because if you were to ask a lot of these players in-game how many timeouts and stuff, they may not know. So you say, hey, Chubb, two-minute warning. If we rush this, you go down, inbounds, we'll kneel this out. The Bills did it uh, yesterday against the Ravens. So, and the Ravens even were trying to let him score and some moron from the Ravens tackled the guy. The defense looked at him like, what the hell are you doing? But I think in some cases it is the manager's responsibility, but I shouldn't have to tell an NFL quarterback to not throw the ball out of bounds on fourth down. I shouldn't have to tell them. Here we go. Soccer, it's the last... Right, okay. Let's go back to the basics. In American football, you've got the coach to the quarterback radio. Does the manager speak to the quarterback in the huddle? Uh, only about play calls. Like, they can't coach them through that. So, so, so basically, um, Kevin will go route 21. Yeah. He'll give them play call. The headset shut off at a certain time. I'm sure many of our Twitter listeners will tell me, I don't know if it's like 10 seconds. But so, for example, like you can't have somebody, when he walks up to the line of scrimmage, go, you got to cover two high safeties, linebackers in the ship, we're going to run this. They can't coach them up until the snap. You get the play call, and if then they have to change it, that's why they look to the sideline, and they'll use a hand signal to change things up. But yeah, you don't have coaches reading defenses, and it's not a real-time thing. It's only a short amount of time they can get the play in. Just back to the basics of sport. Um, in soccer, it's the last minute. The manager will say, run it to the corner. You know, um, yeah. I, I played for how many years? Never once did a manager need to tell me that. Yeah, okay. Like All when right, you yeah. look up at the clock and you see it's 85 minutes and I'm up 2-1, every player on the pitch knows 
my as my defenders, I'm funneling balls to the corner. All my wings know that they're funneling the corner. I know that I want to push the ball forward and then drive it back the outside. I mean, you know, like you shouldn't have to tell people at this level, high school and stuff, maybe yes. But at this level, at 85th and the 85th minute, everybody knows we're going to the corners and then we're going to drop it back. We're going to run that big U swing. We're going to bring it from mids back to the defenders, back to the sweepers, back. To, we're going to kill clock, right? Chelsea used to be marvelous at parking the bus. It was coined after him. Everybody knew what to do. So in some cases, yes, if there's, it involves strategy, then the coaches or the managers are going to have to relay that information in on the huddle, right? So if David Bell is subbing in the game, Stefanski goes and says, hey, when you get in there, make sure to tell Jacoby, this is what I want to do for the next minute, right? For example, in like a two-minute warning, he'll send in three plays. So they can go bing, bing, bing. Hey, when they get to 30 seconds, we're going to the clock play. And then you'll see them hand signals, hand signals, hand signals. We're clocking, we're clocking, we're clocking. That's how they'll communicate. Cool. But let's get back to the structure of the podcast. Out of 10. Contro- controversial run. We're going to get through the coaching and then we're going to give a ma- We're going to give a grade to the coaches today. Second half, Marcus Mariota throws an interception. And Arthur Smith and the Falcons, this was at the end of the third quarter. There was like two minutes left. The Falcons came out the next drive and they went run, 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 touchdown. They got the ball back. He's noticing a trend. Run, 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 run. Oh, sack fumble. He got it back. Passing complete field goal. Did you notice a trend there at the end of the game after the interception ball? A lot of runs. A lot of runs. I'm not sure Marcus Mona. I think there was like 20 something plays in a row where they ran the ball. If I'm a coach, do we think that the defense should have been able to a little bit better adjust in terms of we knew what they were going to do? What did you think of the coaching in that fourth quarter when the Falcons basically took the Raiders playbook from a couple of years ago and just basically ran it and ran it and ran it? Yeah, not, not look, not great. Look, I'm not. I'm not here to uh, slate. You know, I thought Kevin did everything he could to try and win the game. In my eyes, and to run it was good. He was trying to play the bluff card and throw it and get the ground because obviously all you're going to do is Nick Chubb run it, run, run. Yeah. Well, towards the end they needed to get points, so they started passing a little bit more. I just it was one of those things where. The Falcons realized very quickly that they were going to have very limited success against the Browns in the past game. So they brought out the run game knowing, well, this front seven is made of Swiss cheese. We can run the ball and be effective. And the Browns didn't capitalize enough on offense, whether it was a Najoku turnover, whether it was, you know, uh, a downs, because if you think about it in the four, in the four drives in the first half, they went eight plays, 71 yards, two in the two plays for 15 yards to fumble. 16 plays, 75 yards, touchdown, 13 plays, 69 yards and touchdown. So they had two drives of 29 plays. Well, they only ran 30 in the entire second half because they started off three plays, three yards, punt, three plays, two yards, punt, seven plays, 16 yards, field goal, six for 75, seven for 31, eight for 21 and a pick. So overall, what grade are you giving the coaches? Um. I'm going to give him a C. Oh, we're going letter grades for the coaches. And by the way, since it is the Paul Brown podcast, Paul picks the rules, so we're going letter grades on the coaches. Jack would not be allowed to get away with this. 
<laughs> are you giving a flat C, a plus minus? Are we tipping the scale? No, nah, it's a very, it's an average C. I think everything was, uh, the, the, they played to win, which I liked. It didn't work out, hence why we are now. I was frustrated we didn't run it a lot of times. Um, I think we're just unlucky. Yeah, I, I'm in the same boat. I'm going to give them a C plus. And it's mainly because I think they went into the NFL game against, listen, Atlanta, we we said, is an efficiently uh, an offensively efficient team, and they had one hand time behind their back. It, as much as we want to say it, they did. You look at some of these players that they had on defense, and listen, I get some guys are good on Twitter, but when you're starting – when your starting defense has Tommy Togiai struggled mightily, Jacob Phillips struggled mightily, Jordan Elliott struggled mightily. And yes, I know he had a sack. John Johnson struggled. Alex Wright, my brother, struggled. JOK struggled. Isaac Rochelle struggled. Paul, everybody I just named there is a starter, played over 37 snaps. Togi, I was 37. The rest were 40s and 50s. And not a single one of them scored above a 54 in terms of their PFF grades. And that's seven of your 11 starters. On the flip side, Denzel Ward, way to bounce back. So let's talk a little bit about offensively. The Browns, as you mentioned, were very efficient, I thought, on offense. A lot of good performance on offense. Um, you had mentioned about a game ball to Kareem Hunt. Not sure that one's going to hold true, but it was a damn good effort. I thought he had a good game, not necessarily game ball worthy. Uh, do you have a game ball that you, who do you think, I'm trying to think of a good way to word this because in a loss, you only have game ball. Right? This is going to be crazy. I don't watch the O-line very much, but I saw Jedrick Willis getting involved more than I've ever seen him on my little phone watching the game. Did he have a good game, PFF or not? Yeah, he did actually. He it's probably one of his higher graded out games, and it was really well graded out in terms of this run blocking. You're right. I think the Browns went left a few times. I think the Falcons were overloading that right side, given the efficiency of Jack Conklin and Wyatt Teller. But just as a harbinger of things to come in terms of the offense, we talked about seven of their starters being below 50. Well, the Browns have five offensive starting linemen, and not a single one of them scored below a 67. Wyatt Teller was the lowest, and he was still was graded out pretty decently at 67.8. And then you had Ethan Pochich, 70. Betonio, 72. Wills, 76. Conklin, 77. So the Browns continue to be extremely efficient on offense, which I think a lot of teams in the NFL would love to have. And I think what happens is, is when the Browns are running within themselves, you know, to quote the famous Tony Rizzo here, know thyself. When the Browns are operating within themselves with Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, David Njoku, um, you know, Amari Cooper, these guys, they can be extremely efficient and they'll score. Now, in this case, I think the Browns, we said they put up 30, they win. They only put up 20. But when you have two long drives that end in downs and a fumble, you know, and I say long two plays on Njoku's, but you created a short field. This is what happens. They're not built to have a Mahomes or an Allen where you can rip off 20 straight points with a defense that was as injury you know, prone or injury laden as it was. But overall, I thought offensively, they were, they're an easy to watch football team in terms of their offense. And if you were to grade Paul offensively, what would you give them? Because the offense played pretty damn well. I would give them, 
I would give him. Do you need any stats to, to go with it? 22 first downs, 5 of I'll 14 him, on third I'll, down. I'll, I'd give him. No. <laughs> I know what you want to do. It's either a six or an eight. And um, the reason why it's six or an eight is because it was 10 nil down. Mm-hmm. We were confident to come back. The offense could have won the game for the Browns. I think the fumble and not sealing the game off is a six. Wow. Great minds think alike. So just putting a few things out there, the Browns dominated time of possession, 35 to 24, 22 first downs for the Browns, 19 for the Falcons. They were five of 14 on third down, two of three on fourth down, 403 yards compared to the Falcons, 333. They had 234 passing yards to the Falcons, 139. Uh, They were sacked one time, 177 yards rushing to the Falcons, 202. Uh, Seven penalties for 51 yards, two turnovers. I think six because overall they did have an opportunity to win the game similar to the Jets on the final drive to give York a chance. Brissett throws another interception in a time. He didn't need to push the ball down that. I know time was ticking, but he could have completed something underneath to get there a little bit more efficiently or a little less risky, I should say. But yeah, I think six is where it's at. Again, it was nice to see David Bell, who is the Browns highest graded player, 19 snaps. They're bumping him up a little bit. The snaps on Chubb was 40 on Hunt was 36, so nice little split there. 73 total snaps on offense for the team. So, yeah, overall, listen, they needed one less turnover and one more touchdown to kind of push it into that eight, eight category. But, Paul, I think you're bang on with the uh, with the six. Okay, good. All right, now we're going to talk about the defense. No Miles, no Clowney, no Walker, no Taven Bryant. Defense. Uh, I had no confidence in the defense to hold the game. Fact. I'm going to go three out of ten. You're going to have to tell me where you got the three. <laughs> I was thinking one or a two. Is you giving well, them three based on a sliding scale of the handicap? The, the D-line was so... Yes, it was getting bullied by the O-line. You could definitely see that they cared out there. I agree. I, I, all right. All right. I can see. I, my, I was going to go with a two. I was going to give them one point for the sack, one point for the interception. Um, if you want to give them an effort point, I could, I could get on board with that. I definitely Does that make sense. They, well, you could I see when they were tackling, they were excited to make the tackles. They were high five. They were just eight yards down the field. Yeah. I used to have a coach tell me all the time that 80% of failing is trying. So they enthusiastic, I think they enthusiastically gave their best effort. I really do. Like, I don't think there was a lot of slumping and slouching going on. I think guys tried. I don't know if it's a coaching issue in terms of, you know, why these guys are just so far out of alignment in the run game and leaving some of the most gaping holes. It it's, it was not pretty. They, It's like they had no idea what to do. But you're right. Jacob Phillips is running around. He's trying so hard and just failing so miserably. I, half the time, I think he was just running around like a chicken with his head cut off. The only bright spot on defense was Denzel Ward. We, we He was the lowest graded Browns defender. 
came out with his highest graded game of the season. Only Brown that even scored above 70. It went Denzel Ward with an 86 and then Ronnie Harrison with a 68. So there was a nice big cliff right there in the defense. They did generate 17 pressures, one sack, four hits and 12 hurries. I think some of them are a little generous, but all right, Paul, are we going to go with a two or three? Cause I think overall defensively, I want to talk about a bigger picture on the defense, but let's give our grades out real quick. Yes, it's it's a three for me at defense. All right. We'll go with a three. And here's the bigger picture I want to talk about. And we're going to, I'm going to stick with the cooking analogies since Paul knows it. All right. So Paul, in a large, uh, what's, uh, what's a very notably busy restaurant in London? You can give him a shout out free plug on your own show. Let's go sexy fish, sexy fish. How many tables are in sexy fish in terms of seating? Say 200. Okay. So how big of a kitchen do they have? About 10 chefs, 10 chefs for 10 chefs to operate in the same kitchen. How much communication needs to be going on between the servers in the front, taking the orders and the runners that take the food out to the tables. Like how much, how much communicating is it? Is it quiet? Is there, it's chaos. It's organized chaos, right? They bring back the slip. It hits the plates. We got the appetizers. We got the entrees. We got the sides. We got the, there's so much going on without proper communication in that kitchen. The product that's coming out is going to continually be sent back. And I think with the Browns, the defense is lacking the communication issues that we saw in the Steelers game in the Jets game. And ultimately in the Panthers game, it doesn't seem like each level knows what the other level is doing. So from a cooking standpoint, the D line, the first point of attack, they all go their F separate ways. Then the linebackers, well, they split. And then the secondary, they're doing their thing. So each position group seems to be on the same page amongst themselves, except the secondary a couple of times. But as a unit, the cohesion, the, you know, the, the cohesiveness isn't there. And I think as a whole, they're opening themselves up to seven and eight yard carries or 75 yard touchdowns. It's just, there's, there's a communication and communication. Isn't people talking. It's effective communication. If, if I have somebody running the appetizers and I tell everybody I need, you know, um, a risotto appetizer and they bring me pasta, well, it doesn't matter that they communicated something happened. There was a breakdown in communication. And right now I think with the Browns defense, they were in so such basic coverages and yet the communication wasn't there. Now, Jack made a good point in our chat about Jacob Phillips really kind of being the primary person with the dot. I don't know if they're maybe going to switch that over to John Johnson. It's something that's been, I know, discussed outside of the building. But Paul, that defense has to get their shit together because at this point, almost probably 60% of the food that's coming out is getting sent back. One thing I noticed is the opposition... uh, OC is just nose, just fucking play it long because our coverage is so poor. Oh, a hundred percent because, and I want to talk, I know it's been bandied about and sometimes I come across as a dickhead when I respond to it this way, but people say they want Joe Woods to mix it up and do more, right? That we need to do more things, create more pressures, blitz to your point, Paul, with these communication issues, 
comes a dumbing down of the defense, right? We have to get very vanilla. We won't gravitate too much out of our base because if we try to do exotic things, it can go to hell in a handbasket pretty quickly. And that's, I think when you have blown coverages and all this other stuff. So Woods is sitting there like, guys, I'm going to make this so simple for you, right? Because at the end of the day, defense is a reactive position. If the offense comes out in four wide, I can't just run a bare defense, right? I'm going to have to match the personnel that they present. To your point, the offensive corners from the other team know I can effectively do these several things against the Browns and continue, continually do them easily and well. And I think that's what's happening is, is Arthur Smith realized at halftime, these guys can't stop my running backs. And I it's 10-10. So if I can dumb this down, I can run the ball, I can march down the field twice and score points, I'll win the game. And the Browns defense can blitz to the cows, come home. They can bring corners and exotics and robber mess. They can do everything they want. But at the end of the day, when you're watching these Sunday night games or these Monday night games and Collinsworth and all these guys are talking about this quarterback didn't see this coming. Cause I think that's what we want. We want the Browns defense to outsmart the offense. That's when people say that, when they say, I want them to do something else. I want them to be confused. Well, to do that, you have to dominate them in base. That's what a good defense does. A good defense will dominate in base and then say, when you as an offense have to pivot and move off your spot, now I can run a cover zero. I can drop a robber here. I can bring a corner blitz. I can start doing things because you're now unprepared. You're off your script. When you start punching me in the mouth as a defense, it doesn't matter what I do. I can run the most funky, unique things you haven't seen since an eight-year-old played Madden and hit the wrong button, right? It doesn't matter. If you're getting your ass whipped on defense, no calls look good. So I don't know if it's a talent issue on defense, but at the end of the day, Woods can't do anything in terms of dialing up exotic coverages that's going to confuse Marcus Mariota because he doesn't have to. In terms of Marcus, you don't have to confuse Marcus Mariota. If I can beat you at your finest in base, I have the upper hand. You're now off your spot and you're, di- you're being dictated by what I do. You know, that's, that's the one thing about Belichick. We talk about Gordon Ramsey. Belichick always will get that offense off the spot. He takes away this weapon. He takes away that. The Browns defense at this point is not executing at any near a high enough level to do that. So when you're getting punched in the face, it doesn't matter how much you blitz. It doesn't matter how much you want to adjust. If you can't match the mano manu in base versus their base, so to say, on offense, it's blouses. It doesn't matter. Well, yeah, let's move on to special teams because otherwise we'll be doing the same as every other podcast, ranting too much about the defense. But here's the crazy part, Paul. If Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney play in that game, Browns win by 10. They're not, they're not running at Clowney. Clowney would throw Tyler Algier three yards into the backfield. Mm. that's the crazy part. You, you want to fix the defense? Get them healthy. Now, Walker, done for the year. They weren't running at miles. They're not going to run at miles like that. They're going to run at Clowney like that. That's just an unfortunate thing. But you said it earlier in the thing. We don't have depth. We've been talking about this since April. They had no edge death. Whether it's Jerry Hughes, George Karloftis, it does, they don't have these guys. So as much as you want to, you know, banter back and forth about Joe Woods and stuff like that, if you don't have your horses, if, if I, if I don't bring you a steak and I tell you, you know, I want a steak, you're not going to make me, you're going to have a vegan hot dog, which looked delicious. 
Oh, I've got to say thanks a lot for all these uh, chefing uh, uh, talks, mate. I've really enjoyed it so far. But special, special teams, special teams. Come on, listen. You know, and I know that when we take the opportunity to take Mike Prefer to task, it's there. I can't. Boraquez, three punts, 48 yards, two inside the 20. Ronnie Harrison, next time, why don't you let that roll a little further? Just saying. Just saying. Um, Jerome Ford, take a freaking knee. What are you doing? Take the knee. Uh, York was four of four on all of his kicks, two extra points, two field goals. I thought he looked good. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones didn't muck up anything on the punt game. Um, I don't, did we have any stupid penalties on special teams? One, maybe I, I thought overall specials didn't look as bad. So to say, Who I couldn't tell on my phone who was doing punt returns. People's Jones. Ooh, interested. How did he do? Two punts returned, uh, seven yards. Longest was six. So we had a six yarder and a one yarder. But their their punter uh, didn't do too bad in terms of uh, not giving him the op- a huge opportunity to uh, to run him back. So I can't really kill him too much. Uh, pinion three punts, fifty one average, fifty four is the long. I can't really comment because I didn't see enough of special teams to be honest. So in whatever number you go with. Um, ideally it would be a Shevinaruski, but we don't do those. They had no game breaking thing. So I'm going to go with a six. It wasn't below five. It was above, I would say it was an above average non-losing performance, but they didn't do anything to help win. So sixer. Okay. I think that's fair. I, yeah. In the pub, I was watching the red zone. It was a bit faster, blah, blah, blah. So, um, I'll tell you, who did look good yesterday. Scottish hammer. He did. And all of that jersey. Oh, that classic Giants looking good. Looking good. Uh, but Paul, we all know you're the celebrity of the podcast. We all know that people tune in around the world to listen to you. Not necessarily give them great insight into the analytics of football, but I take that as a dig. Carry on. But you had yourself a hell of a day to watch a hell of a game. That Viking Saints game was very entertaining. You're rubbing elbows with all the fines, all the finest in Britain, including the hundred million dollar man himself, Harry Kane, one of the more overrated strikers. And if he listens to this podcast, I'll apologize to you personally, Harry, but Paul tell people, what were the stories you had your own private chef in a suite directly across from the lasso boys next to Kane next to talk. The floor is yours, Paul. Shout out to eight, eight, eight sports for giving Paul this opportunity. And you absolutely crushed it. Your social media yesterday was can't miss. Yeah, so basically, um, I didn't want to say anything before in case it got cancelled, but it was actually my first ever paid job as a presenter, and 888 Sport reached out to me privately and asked me, would I like to run their social media and interview people in their box and before the game? So I negotiated a price, I did it, and um, yeah, had a really good day. To be honest, with a camera in front of you all the time, it does take away the enjoyment of relaxing and, and watching the game, especially the warm-up. Um, but yeah, my, my job was basically to go out into the street, meet, speak to people, ask people quiz questions, and uh, and go from there, basically. So what was the most exciting part? 
the most exciting part was in the box. Where you probably don't know this guy. He's called Robbie. He's part of Arsenal TV. Um, well known social media guy. Speaking to him, we had the Ian Rappaport of Sky News. Jim White was in there with us. Obviously spoke to Harry Kane. Obviously saw the Ted Lasso guys. Um, had the chef. The food was quite average, but you know, you could drink alcohol outside in the stadium. It's the first time that you can do that in a Spurs stadium, or the only time you can do that in a Spurs stadium is drink alcohol outside. In English soccer, you can't drink outside. So yeah, it was just a just a great day, great fun, great working with a corporate. I had my boy. Uh, Joseph, Greg Joseph, he was ripping up the points. I believe he's your, um, he was your uh, kicker as well. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And I heard you went and bought him large hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of alcohol specifically for his dominant performance on my fantasy team. Correct? Not quite so correct, but uh, I can't say too much because I don't want to get anyone in trouble. But he said to me, "Can you get me some beers?" Because we're stuck in the we're stuck on the coach for three hours. They had to wait until the Saints went to Stansted, went through the airport, and then they could fly three hours afterwards. They couldn't be in the same airport at the same time. It sounded very weird to me. So yeah, he was stuck in this like gym area, all the players, all the Viking players, and he said, Look, can you get us some alcohol? And I said, I can. He said, You don't have to do it. I said, I'll do it. Place your order. And then there was tequila, Jack Daniels, beers, Cadbury's chocolate. Anyway, so we sneaked it in there. I left. Didn't see the guys, just left very humble. And then that was it. Do you think he was drinking away the blousing that Man City gave his Manchester United boys? Yeah, really interesting why I wore a Man United shirt after losing 6-3. 6-3. Six, three. Six, three um, even at half, it was what, 4-0? Yeah, yeah. I, I I said to him, mate, he said, mate, you can't be wearing that today. He said, get the Browns gear off. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, uh, I said to him, he, he goes to me, where's my Cadbury's? I said, where's my, where's my, where's my game winning ball? You know, I said, Kay York gives me a ball. Where's my ball? Anyway, so. Uh, well, yeah. that's awesome. It looked awesome. I know even my wife made some comments about how cool it looked. But, but yeah, it, it, overall, that's what makes the NFL fun. And, you know, once we kind of turn the corner, the first quarter of the season now over for the Browns. Listen, another game coming up in London next week, though, right? You got a big one? Or is that Germany? No, it's uh, England next week. It's Giants. It's uh, Scottish Hammer versus the Packers. Any other Browns players out there that I should know about? Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll pull through all that stuff because I don't have I don't have the rosters in front of me, but to uh, say say what's up to the, the hammer from us. Um, but yeah, listen, everybody, you know, we obviously appreciate you guys. Coming. Quick question. Go. Look, when we're not another podcast, but I would like to talk about Baker Mayfield. Oh, OK. Should I what? go put my Baker Mayfield shirt on? No, not now. Um, do you think he's getting a hard time? one in three and what you think is well-deserved or I think that Carolina is in an unfortunate position of rebuilding and Baker got put in a situation where he would have to play above his talent level to make them a competitive winning team. 
And he right now has a confidence issue in terms of delivering the ball. He'll make a beautiful touchdown pass to Christian McCaffrey over the top, which is a throw we've seen him make here. And then he'll get passes swatted away at the line of scrimmage by JJ Watt, Zach Allen. I mean, he threw a couple picks yesterday against Arizona that just, you know, is it his fault? Is it the O-line's fault? I mean, Carolina is just not a great team. I mean, saying that it took us a 58 yard field goal to beat him. But at the end of the day, I think Baker Mayfield has talent. I think Baker Mayfield in that Stefanski system that we saw him in 2020, where he's got a complimentary run game. And that was the one time I think in the last two years where we've seen that Browns team gel and play as, you know, winning caliber football, whether it's on the special side, on the defense side, whether it's on the offense side, you know, that's what Baker needs to succeed. I don't think Baker has Allen level or Mahomes level talent to supersede bad football. You know, we used to say about how Tom Brady would make bad players better. You know, when you talk about Gordon Ramsay of chefs, well, Baker Mayfield is not the Gordon Ramsay of, of chefs. He's not Michael Simon, you know, even. Baker Mayfield is a good, maybe top 15 quarterback. And that's what the Browns saw. And that's why they went out and got, you know, Deshaun Watson, because they said, despite all this guy's baggage, he gives us a better chance to win than Baker does. And he's now thrust into a situation with Matt rule and Scott Fitterer where there could be coaches changes coming on. And it's unfortunate. I like Baker. I'm not going to back away from that position. He has to play better. He'll be the first to tell you that. But at the end of the day, he's not getting it done. He's got to have a way he's got to get in these offensive linemen and tell them to get these D linemen hand down. I don't care if you're six, one or six, three or six, four, these guys get passes bad down all the time. The coordinators are smart. They're, you know, they're stunting, they're switching, they're, flipping D lineman. So there's a lot that goes into that question, but at the end of the day, Baker, I think will tell you he's got to play better. And when he plays better, he's decent. And when he doesn't, he's out similar to Pittsburgh. They took an L to the jets and looks like Kenny Pickett. now is going to be taken over from Mitch Trubisky. So the Steelers have basically said, fuck it. If we're going to die on a Hill, we're going to die with the rookie and see what he's got. That's the modern day. NFL. I like that. But look, Ian, it's been absolutely a pleasure speaking to you. I've got a little present for you coming. Oh, boy. Um, but it hasn't come yet. So, did, uh, did you talk to Robbie, the Arsenal guy, about the real Ian right, 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 right? I think I really missed an opportunity there, didn't I? Yep. yep. Especially I, I saw that you ran into the one uh, Arsenal defender too, right? Well, I called him a goalkeeper at first, but then I made a mistake. Well, technically, so, he probably uh, plays yeah. goalkeeper for as bad as their back line is Right, this is the, I didn't get this on video. I said, um, uh, can I ask you a quick question? He goes, yeah. I said, um, what's, what's your team? He went, Arsenal. I said, no, I know that. What's your NFL team? <laughs> He's like, no, to be fair, nobody really ever knows who the defenders are anyways. So there you go. But yeah. Yeah. So it overall, uh, well, I look forward to this. Um, I'll have a couple, we'll have a couple more stories to tell later down the road, but yeah, we, we greatly appreciate, you know, everybody, we have a nice little fan base that kind of lets us know about things, uh, keeps us on our toes. I think we're going to have a couple different shows in terms of maybe towards the halfway point of the Brown season to see where we can go with this. You know, obviously I believe Deshaun Watson can head into the Browns facility starting next week after next week's game. So that'll be uh, something that we can talk about, but yeah, 
we appreciate everybody coming out, listening, downloading, interacting. Uh, you know, hopefully we do a good job answering your questions and not making too many people mad with our responses. Uh, Paul, traveling man, yacht show in Monaco to the suites in London within a week. Just you're a madman. You are a madman and the stories make up for it. I'll tell you that much. All right. Well, look, go Browns. And I look forward to hearing you and Jack hopefully tomorrow on another podcast. Absolutely. Go Browns. <laughs> <laughs>